Providing care and services in the home is more important than ever, given the constraints and pressure this pandemic has placed on the healthcare industry. To discuss this important and timely topic, Bruce Greenstein, Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer at LHC Group, joins us on today's podcast. Bruce's company is one of the biggest home healthcare providers in the country and has been a courageous leader in continuing to deliver high quality in-home care amid this crisis. Bruce is also one of the industry's most prominent advocate for innovators and startups and shares valuable insights and advice on how disruptors and visionaries can flourish in the healthcare industry, especially during these unprecedented times. Because of leaders like Bruce helping to move the healthcare industry forward while also empowering startups and their new ideas during this pandemic, I remain confident and optimistic we can improve patient outcomes for our community members in their homes and beyond. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Bruce. I'm so grateful to have you on our podcast today as we have so much to discuss. Mike, it's great to be here. I can't wait. Well, given your national leadership as our former chief technology officer at HHS and now leading strategy and innovation at LHC Group, I'm eager to discuss the shifts in in in-home healthcare due to COVID-19 and what these shifts mean for our industry, our innovation leaders, and the patients all of us serve. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our free online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas and interact with the global ecosystem. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Bruce, there's a lot to cover today. You've recently, well, now it's been a little over a year, maybe even longer, where you were serving as our CTO of HHS, now heading up strategy and innovation for LHC Group. Before we dive into this notion of what in-home healthcare meant to LHC Group, what it means now within COVID-19, and then where we need to go as a country around these new forms of care, given the disruption the pandemic has brought all of us, Bruce, can you frame up a bit? what LHC Group is, what your role is within there, and then we'll start diving into COVID-19 itself. Sure, and great. Thanks for having me uh, to start with. And believe it or not, it's been about two years since I left the government. And I think that fateful day in March when I did the elbow bump with the president, that was the last time I'd been to Washington, D.C. or traveled for work. And COVID has taken the last, you know, more than half a year out of our normal lives. But We're at LHC Group, we're one of the nation's largest post-acute care providers. And in that bucket, we think about it as home health, hospice, personal care services. And in addition to that, we run the second largest ACO management company. We run a number of LTACs, long-term acute care hospitals around the country. And we also have a company that does long-term care insurance assessments. So we really are wrapped around, aside from LTACs, all types of care in the home for patients traditionally after they leave the hospital. 
And we're going to get in a little bit deeper today what it means to go from post-acute care in the traditional sense to pre-acute care or acute care avoidance through the use of in-home care and what that means to the healthcare economy post-COVID. Yeah. And before we go there, Bruce, can you maybe also frame up a bit what does it mean to head up innovation within such a large organization like LHC Group? Why did you join them? Maybe give us a little bit of an understanding there. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we think about innovation as on the Star Wars side, being heavy in technology, heavy in experimental means or new ways to produce something, whether it's a product or service. And in this case, home health has been a fairly sleepy corner of the American healthcare system. We don't tend to think about home health and innovation in the same breath, but it is one of the larger portions of this outer frontier of the healthcare system. And one, I think, in desperate need of modernization in the sense that it occupies such an intriguing portion of the American healthcare system that is generally not done well by those that don't do it full time. So providing care and services in the home is very tricky. And that's why when you think about other services that provide in-home elements to it, it's generally companies that focus on that completely rather than ones that can do one set of services and then think that extending it to the home is just this natural way of having another division within their enterprise. And you notice that even in hospital services or clinical services in general, the in-home piece is really challenging. You'll remember from my time in Washington, D.C., we started up the Kidney X program that was carried on by incredibly talented people and ended up you know, in a Rose Garden signing ceremony. But the notion of bringing care to the home for kidney dialysis patients should be happening far more, but it's not because it's difficult to go from an, a clinical outpatient environment to providing those same level of services in the home. When you think about what home health does, it's all it does. It provides a high level of skilled nursing care in the home. Now the goal in terms of innovation is how you marry that with other services that generally are provided in an outpatient environment or in an institution, take those services, provide it in the home in a highly efficient, scalable way, and maintain the same high level of quality. That's, I think, the innovation for the future. On the strategy piece, I do a lot of partnerships, a lot of M&A work. We are a rapidly growing, publicly traded company. And so this part of the world has got everyone's attention right now. Care in the home is now kind of the new cool thing. And we've been there for the last 26 years. And putting these relationships together, I think will keep me busy for many years into the future. Well, thank you for sharing that, Bruce. And we're going to come back to innovation a little bit later here and talk about how our innovators need to be thinking. What should they be addressing? How do they take their technology that maybe was relevant pre-COVID, pivot it and be relevant in times of a crisis that is in front of us right now. So we're going to come back to that a little bit later, but let's dive into a little bit. Like you mentioned, Bruce, your organization has been around for almost 30 years. And during those 30 years, there has not been a pandemic. And so let's dive into that. Let's discuss how has in-home care, how has LHC Group been reimagined due to COVID-19? What are the negatives? What are the positives? I'll pause there and let you react. 
Yeah, so what's interesting is while we haven't faced a widespread pandemic, the notion of what you do in the face of a pandemic still focuses around infection control and some core healthcare blocking and tackling that are around communicable diseases. So there's probably two major elements to the story. One is everybody was frozen in their tracks with limited supply of PPE, personal protective equipment. And you know we normally carry PPE that would last for several visits for several weeks, but definitely not for months for every visit. And then just kind of wrap your head around, we have over 103,000 patients on census today. We'll see uh, almost 600,000 patients a year and we'll do between 12 and 13 million visits in 2020. So when you think about the need for PPE and having a line of sight to be able to have PPE for all of our clinicians, all of our patients and every visit, it was a big undertaking. And we brought in some of our logistics and purchasing experts you know, right into our headquarters offices. And during the early days of the pandemic, you could just see people in N95 masks in our office with their cell phones attached to their ear, you know, yelling at people that are the middleman because everyone had a friend that they know that knows somebody in China that could get masks. That's how every conversation started. And we were very aggressive in this process. And we ended up early on with enough PPE to cover, like I said, all of our clinicians. We have about 33,000 employees in every visit because there was too much lag time in testing. So we treated every patient as PUI, patient under investigation, as a potential COVID positive patient. And we also needed to take COVID positive patients with all of our relationships with hospitals and physicians offices. We needed to be the go-to partner, which we were you know, either very early in the game or first in the country. So that's one piece. Now, the second piece is we put together very detailed protocols that were generally reminders for things that our nurses know already. And when we went out to the nurse population and started to engage about our strategy in the face of COVID and kind of asked if they were okay with it, this is something I love. We pretty much got the sort of a pushback in our chest, like figuratively, because this is all over uh, conference calls and, and Zoom meetings. And our nurses came back and said, you know, like, don't talk to us that way. We take care of TB patients every day. We take care of HIV patients every day. This is why we went into nursing. This is why we signed up to treat people in their home. We know how to take care of, you know, patients with some type of infectious disease. Let us do our job, give us the supplies and get out of the way. And I loved it. That was such a positive message to hear. And that was so important for us to be able to take care of and engage patients around the country, which is what we did. And that was the beginning of normalizing the care that we were able to provide in the home. So that's sort of our internal organizing facet. The next piece which I think is an important part of the story. Because remember, people at home were watching a lot of you know, CNN or C-SPAN, wherever they were getting their news, very concerned about having anyone come into their home, especially a healthcare worker, because the stories about skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities and the widespread infections that were generally being spread from caregivers really made patients and their families super cautious and anxiety filled. So once we were able to reestablish 
a sense of, say, confidence in our infection control techniques. Our patients invited us back in their home. Our referring partners, so large healthcare systems and physicians, started to open the floodgates. And lastly, hospitals were calling us to say, hey, we can't discharge our patients to SNFs anymore, to skilled nursing facilities, because they're locked down. They want two successive COVID negative tests. Tests are taking so long to get back. We need a way to do our SNF, basically a SNF in the home program. And that's really when this next wave of innovation came about, because we know we've always had the capabilities, the acumen, and the clinical wherewithal to stand up these programs. And I'll get to the technology needed for that in a minute. But we designed these protocols, these patient workflows from the hospital bed, discharge planners, our people, case conference, sometimes inspecting the home before the patient ever got home, and then our rapid response team to sort of clinically embrace the patient as soon as they're ready to come home, establish the assessments, and then the care and supplies they needed in the home to make successful transitions. We stood this up in late March in Florida with a a well-recognized large hospital system, and now we spread it across many states and many other health systems as well. I think that this is one of these learnings that you cannot unlearn, that it's efficient and safe and patients love coming home after a hospitalization instead of ending up for 25.1 days in a SNF. So we're really, really excited about that process right now. Well, let's also talk about technology innovation as well in regards to in-home care. And let me set the stage for our community. Bruce has been one of our biggest advocates for startups, disruptors, and innovators and entrepreneurs within the community. He has been there nonstop, you know, waving the flag for our community and has been just a massive ambassador across this country at the highest levels. And then let me also frame up in regards to the magnitude of what LHC Group represents within our nation they are reaching over 60% of the U.S. population age 65 and older. I mean, that's a massive swath of patients. And Bruce, when you think about when you hear all the time, oh, one of the biggest segments of the population that's most vulnerable to COVID-19, it's our older generation. And then we think about technology and the connected patient. What does that mean to LHC Group? What does that mean to you heading innovation and the whole notion around explosion of telemedicine, connected patient, remote monitoring? How has that been impactful for your guys' work during COVID-19 as well? All right. So this is going to be, Mike, a combination of both shocking, but a call to arms. This is where I really want to see a major engagement with the startup community. And I think there is a lot of highway in front of us that we can travel down together. So let me kind of frame up the story. The notion of remote patient monitoring is not new, but technology alone does not care for a patient. And so whether it's, and I'm dealing with this on a daily basis, entertaining pitches from startup companies that have a new remote patient monitoring kit or device, as well as some of the largest companies, whether it's Honeywell or Philips, that have their, you know, their own kits and technology as well. But there's a disconnect between the technology and actually doing something different in the home for a patient. So when I think about innovation, it's not new technology. It's doing something different tomorrow than how you did it yesterday. You have to execute. 
And so in execution, there's all these considerations to make. Is it finance? Do you have the ability to make it margin positive so the costs are not over what the return is? Is their usability something that an older person that's not tech savvy, that's always had their grandson reset their VCR clock you know, throughout time, is the usability there and will have patient adoption? Is it something that engages the family and other caregivers that are not the formal caregivers like our nurses? And lastly, this is something that we've made progress on, but strangely not as much as we need. Is it fully integrated in the way that the formal caregiving process works. And so for me, that means our EHR in the home is called Home Care Home Base. Does the RPM solution or any other piece of this connected patient technology, is it integrated with our EHR? Are alerts sent to the right place that's actionable, whether it's a help desk or call center, or maybe to the nurse directly or a member of the family that lives nearby? The way to make RPM work or a connected patient work is simply to make it actionable. And today, that's not really delivering anywhere near it needs to be to make the formal healthcare delivery system like us, we're part of it, to make us change. So I have access to all kinds of RPM. We use very little of it because it's both kind of pricey Logistically, it's clunky. The usability is not quite as elegant as, say, my Apple Watch or a Fitbit, and the integration is spotty at best. So that's something to say that as we continue to develop on the sensor technology, on the technology, whether it's around you know a better blood pressure cuff or pulse oximeter or hub, whether that's a tablet or some kind of ambient devices, getting that information when something goes wrong in the home to be actionable and a quick response is what has to happen. Instead of just having some kind of electronic digital recording of the moments that led to a 911 call and the patient go into the emergency room, because that's what happens every day today. So that's where I put it, the challenge out to come help me figure this piece out. That's a great call to arms. And I know that a lot of our innovation community is listening in. When Bruce shares these ideas, he is dead serious and is very committed to it. So feel free, head over to our global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There'll be an area where we can comment, share some ideas and give feedback to Bruce and his team. So thank you for that, Bruce. Well, Bruce, I also want to bring up a quote from March right when this pandemic was really going full throttle in regards to the national lockdown. And you had spent some time with a mutual friend of ours, Jessica DeMassa on WTF Health Show. And you said the following, you said, quote, health tech providers, this is the make or break time. If you can't prove your value in the next, say, 11 weeks, then you should not be in the healthcare game. It's time to get serious, end quote. Again, that was in March, Bruce. You just shared some really good insight on how innovators should be thinking. Is this notion still relevant today? And for our community, we're recording right in the beginning of September here in 2020. Is that quote still relevant today, Bruce? Any thoughts on your comments? Any updates or amending of that comment? Anything that you want to share there from your time with Jessica back in March? You know, Jessica and I just did a conference where she was the moderator. It was a fireside chat keynote thing on Friday of last week 
for a tech company called Forcura. It was the Forcura Summit. And we revisited a lot of what has changed since then. And I have to say that there's not been as much utilization of technology as you would think. So let's go over this for a second. Since March, maybe everyone is now has a Zoom account and is using some level of telepresence to be productive. You know, so whether it's Microsoft Teams or Zooms or Google Meets or you know more WebEx, that has I think stepped up to be able to facilitate what's necessary for communications and including in the healthcare sector. Testing, you would think that testing would have had a rapid development between the kind of go live and go crazy of March to today. But I have to say that we've been so underwhelmed with the ability to have rapid turnaround on testing that it's probably hampered the nation's response to COVID-19. And just kind of think through where we are, you know, we're over six months later and we still see very similar challenges in testing today. So that, that is something where I don't give us a an accolade. I mean, if you are in telemedicine, it's been probably the you know greatest six months of your life. We are conducting more visits between clinicians and patients than ever before. And what we're trying to figure out as a nation, is this the new normal or will it go back? And so I think that that's really where we're in the figuring out stage right now. And by the way, for innovators, it's the perfect time. We know we're coming off of a high point of non-in-person healthcare usage. So just kind of think back. And if you listen to earnings calls on a lot of large companies or you listen to leaders you know, in small organizations that on virtual conferences now, volumes in hospitals were down anywhere from 50 to 70%. Many outpatient clinics shut down entirely or were operating at very, very small throughput levels. And elective procedures were shut down completely in most or all states. And now we're coming back in many states, but they're not all online yet. Ventilators were really hard to find. And we've kind of been enlightened clinically over the last six months on recognizing how to use them more effectively with better health outcomes, but still the availability of ventilators has been constrained. And clinics are trying to figure out how best to manage their patient flow. And you've seen some pretty crafty ways of doing where, you know, using either a website or a uh, text-based method, patients will stay in their car until it's time for them to come in for their visit. Waiting rooms are sort of a thing of the past. There are all these innovations that occurred, but not as a consequence of, you know, these great innovators coming up with great ideas. It's mainly with healthcare, we'll just say the business of healthcare, a hospital staying open, an outpatient clinic doing total, you know, knees and hips, your primary care clinic with 11 docs in it that just needs to stay open and be able to pay their staff at the end of the week. It's that kind of survival techniques that have really birthed these innovations. But now, again, I feel like we're coming off this high point crest. And now patients are coming back that need to come back. Some patients want to do distance that are doing distance, just like shopping. Some people 
are happy to you know be dedicated to Amazon or Amazon Fresh or Target in home and never go back. Some want to go back for some things, but not three or four times a week. In healthcare, we have to figure out what does that new patient experience look like. It's our time to create the new normal. Don't let the new normal create what we do because I'm telling you, the menu of ways to consume healthcare is not complete. We've seen the starters and appetizers. We haven't seen all the main courses, the secondary, you know, after the pasta dish in an Italian restaurant. We haven't seen the desserts. We don't know what it's like. We write the menu. So we should not be only asking potential customers, what do you need? Which is, I've gotten probably 90, 95% of the phone calls is, you know, what do you need today? That's the, not the best answer. I do need things today, but really I want to know is after this next phase, how do you want to produce your services? How can you see capturing market share from those that aren't innovating? How can you move the market, which maybe we'll get to about what the difference is in post-acute care, regular in-home care, pre-acute care, really redefining how healthcare gets delivered over the next, say, two to five years as payers write new contracts, as large health systems figure out how to attract their patients back in a different way. That's what our time should be spent on right now. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that, Bruce. That was spot on. And for a lot of us, this is exactly what we need to be thinking about, not just what is needed today, but how do we shape the future? How do we create the tomorrow? And so as we close down here, Bruce, maybe you got to have one to two quick hits for our community that we should be thinking about over the next, say, 12 to 18 months. What are those two kind of key takeaways that we should be keeping top of mind? All right. So when I think about COVID and people talk about how it's massively changed our healthcare system, here's my key takeaway. It really hasn't. It's been the major accelerator of the change that was already underway. So to kind of think through how much care is now being delivered at a distance or from the home and who owns the home? Why? So I like to say we own the home in home health. My industry does. We're really, really good at it. We're really efficient. We know how to do scheduling and assessments and route planning and productivity maximization while getting the highest quality and best healthcare outcomes. That's an asset now that can be applied in many different ways. So I think about it this way. We generally have been taking care of patients from the time they're being discharged to the hospital until they're not sick anymore. So that's when we discharge patients. Instead, during COVID, we've seen a lot of health systems, primary care physician practices, and independents that are using us as a way to avoid needing to go to the hospital to start with, because hospitals, you know, early on were a dangerous place for infection spread, that going to the emergency room seemed a dicey proposition, and many clinics were closed and the physicians couldn't see their own patients. So they would refer to home health, and we avoided so many inpatient hospitalizations that it becomes a benefit to the Medicare trust fund. And for the patient, it's a much, much better experience. So while we have these assets, how do we think about reorganizing the whole patient experience? And it only goes back to what we know that we've been doing in the past. It's called population health. It's disease surveillance. It's ways to 
understand the patient and treat them before they get too sick. And I'll just kind of remind everybody, two of really the best healthcare innovators that we also attracted to HHS, you know, was Adam Bowler and Brad Smith, the founders of Landmark and the co-founder of Aspire, you know, with Senator Frist. And that's the kind of thinking about bringing very complex, very disorganized and expensive care into a new care setting, which is in the home. Now we know we have the opportunity to do that in the home, by video, by telephone, by electronic devices that are both active and passively collecting information. Organizing that in a way to make it actionable is what I think is the wave of the future. Not something that's new and nobody thought about before. It's been on the way, but too slowly. Now it's time to accelerate and take advantage of it. Payers are interested in paying for that. So the excuse of, well, nobody wants to pay for it, that's pretty much gone. Now it's time to put up or shut up in this area. Man, I'm so jacked up over here, Bruce. I'm ready to run through walls. <laughs> this is exactly what we all need to be thinking about within our innovation ecosystem. Powerful words of advice. There's so many questions that I still have, but I definitely need to get you back to leading the charge over at LHC Group. I'm so appreciative of your time today. As we wrap up, though, can you give us a couple of touch points online? Where can our community find you? And then we'll say our goodbyes. Uh, you know, so I don't have a large social media presence anymore. You know, now in the corporate world, I rely on our communications office here at LHC Group. But I would say, first of all, email me straight away at Bruce at lhcgroup.com. And then visit our website, check out the company so you kind of get a better idea of what home health really is and what we do. You know, have me back on. Let's have something where maybe we could take some call-ins or answer questions that people text or email in. And as soon as the economy opens back up, hope to be back on the conference circuit and be able to, you know, to see all my friends and those that inspire me in person somewhere on the road. I couldn't agree more with you, Bruce. Trust me, I'm dying to get on a plane and see all of my friends and people that I admire, which includes you. Also to our community, all of those touch points that Bruce shared will be in our episode notes. Just simply scroll down in your podcast player and all of those contact points will be there. You can also find Bruce over on LinkedIn. Just simply search Bruce Greenstein. Well, Bruce, we're coming to a close here. Thank you so much for taking a pit stop today, sharing so many great insights and ideas that we need to be thinking about within the innovation community and where things are heading and how to answer that call. So again, Bruce, thank you so much. I'm so appreciative of your time. Always learn something from you anytime I get to spend a moment with you. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much. My pleasure. And thanks for the invitation today. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.